this morning I'm going to share called Finish Your Race. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture if you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter and the seventh verse. There are many references about the Christian race. There's a general race that we all run as Christians. And then really there's kind of a specialty race that every individual runs. So it's kind of like your lane on the track. You know, there are different lanes and you need to kind of stay in your lane. And so even though there's one big huge race, there's different lanes. And so, you know, or different events in the Olympics and things like that. And we want to do our specific part right and finish it. And that is super important, not just start, you know, and, and uh, head out and start running and pull over and quit. We want to keep going and we want to do our thing and we want to do it well. We don't want to go, wow, look at him. He's doing that javelin thing over there. I'm doing that. You know, it would kind of be like me having a dream to go, you know what? Julie doesn't need to be leading. Everybody needs to hear my voice singing. How many of you know I could have that dream? Some dreams become nightmares. And uh, I think I could do okay, but it wouldn't be the same because it's not my lane in the overall big race. You know, and everybody's supposed to be in their place. And everybody should already have found that scripture. And I'm working to get there too. Second Timothy, and I'm going to read here about uh, our race. And uh, it's, it's mentioned again and again. Actually, before I read this, maybe I'll share a little bit. Second Timothy 4. But Paul, the apostle, this man who had a tremendous conversion experience, the Lord appeared to him when he was going to go imprison a bunch of Christians. And he would imprison them, kill them, do all kinds of stuff. And he thought he was doing the right thing. And God intervened in his life, and he became a Christian. And God used him to shake the known world at that time. And God used him to write a bunch of the scripture. And during that time when Paul was alive, there were what we know today is like the Olympics, but the ancient Olympics, the Greek Olympics were were going on. And it would be like, you know, in, in a few weeks, you know, there will be what we call the Super Bowl. And there's probably a lot of people who will use Super Bowl illustrations, you know, in their sermon, to get a point across. Well, that type of thing happened in the Bible. And so what Paul did was he would use these uh, ancient Olympics to get points across. But, you know, like a lot of things, like we talked about last week, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And um, we just think, wow, that's a cool thing, the valley of the shadow of death. You know, not even knowing that that is the story that Jesus told when he talked about the Good Samaritan going along and getting mugged, getting beaten and left for dead. It was a shortcut, so to speak, in this area that was readily 
uh, or readily, uh, or how would you say it, a good spot for crooks to beat up on innocent people passing through. And they could get mugged and robbed and everybody knew it. So when Jesus used that illustration, they all knew the backdrop that the valley of the shadow of death was a place where people would hide to mug you on your journey. If you wanted to go from here to there, you're going to get mugged or the possibility. So when Paul used these illustrations about the Olympic Games, they understood them different than we did or than we do. Because we think about the Olympics now, and they do have a different way about them. Back then, when he talked about this, they had all different kinds of events. But at one point in the Olympic Games, they became so important to everybody that it didn't matter if there were wars or different things. Truces happened so that if you were in one area and I was in another area, we could go to the Olympic Games and we would be safe. Other times we could be killed or whatever else, but because these games and watching people compete, they just did something to unify everybody. They were super valuable to the people. Everybody knew of the Olympic uh, discipline for the people that competed. So if there was a war in between, like, or some battle, be, you know, I lived in one area and I had to travel through another, you would get safe travel. You know, they would cause truces to be enacted so that you could go or anybody could go through there just to view these races and these games and, you know, the different things that were happening. And so... These were big time. So when you hear a story about run your race, he was talking about these Olympic things and they were big time. And it was so big that everybody would put other things aside to make sure, you know, that they could go observe these people compete and watch them compete. These were super important games. But the big thing is with Paul here in his writings, he didn't just put us as the people watching the race being won. He basically threw us into the race, into throwing the javelin. And that this is so important, everybody around is watching. And you know what an illustration that is for us because when we live our Christian life, we may not realize People all around us are watching. They're watching us. Even in wars, you know, and they may be warring at home and fighting at home, but then they see our life at work, at school, and they're observing our race. And they're, they're getting an opportunity to see somebody competing in this life properly. In other words, are they living this Christian walk? How many people in my own life, when I worked a secular job, maybe made fun of me, maybe gave me a hard time, but when the hard time of life came, I didn't know they were watching my race. You know, if I would have looked at these scriptures and known the background, I would have known the world's watching me. 
They're watching all the details of my life. Where, where I may think, well, it doesn't matter if I say this and do this and maybe I'm a certain way. It's no big thing. But they're watching. And how many times have I had people that made fun of me at work when they got into a hard time, the truth came out. They would call me, come to me, and say, you know, I know I made fun of you. I know I gave you a hard time. I know I even talked to you about you. But I knew you had something. Can you help me? And really, it goes back to these different things, you know, where uh, understanding the background. Now, here's the big thing. If you haven't been running good, we can all start running good. If we haven't been running, we can start. Different people are at different places in this race. Some are closer to the end than the beginning. Some are in the middle. Some are just starting out. Some have gone by the wayside. We want them to get back up and start running. You know, there's no condemnation. We just need to finish our race. So let's read this verse here in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Now, Paul at this time is nearer to the end than the beginning. He has gone for a long time running his race. And he said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He said, I'm right at the end. And uh, he, he was actually about to be martyred for his faith. And God had shown him in advance, you know, when you get old, I'm going to be delivering you from prison. I'm going to be doing this. You're going to go through all this, you know, these attacks from the world but, you know, you're going to be a shining light. And, and he let him know, hey, you're getting near the end of your life. And so he explains, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's not just his race, but it's the race. It's the race every Christian is in. It's this illustration of the Olympic race, that the world is watching us while we serve God. That doesn't mean we need to, in front of the world, every now and then go, hallelujah, Jesus. And they're like, oh yeah, he's a Christian. No, I mean, it's okay to do that. I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle that. But it's not like something that we do just to be special. Jesus said, when you live in love, all people will know you belong to me. And there's something about walking in God's love. Not the world's kind of love, but the kind God has. Because the Bible said God is love. True Bible love is known by the world. It's different. It's just different. And it's part of our race it's part of what people watch. It's part of what influences us because we're influenced by God. So if we're influenced by God, I'm going to be influenced by love. If I'm not loving, maybe I need to rub up against God, so to speak. Get, get hanging around him. Get his perspective because his love is toward us. His love is in us when we come to know him. And he wants that love through us. Why? 
because we're all running a race. Your race is going to make you go places my race won't. You're going to work in a company. You're going to live in a different neighborhood. You're going to go to a different school, different grocery stores. Even if we go to the same grocery store, you may go at night. I may go in the morning. You're going to meet different checkers. There are going to be people there, and they're all going to watch us. And they're going to see our life. Different neighbors will, people who cut your hair. I mean, the whole thing. And whether we know it or not, we're running a race. Now, this isn't pressure. But back then, when he talked about people running this race, everybody knew about an Olympic athlete, that they were self-controlled, they were disciplined, and it wasn't just to be disciplined, it was for the race, for the bigger cause. Because he said everybody, Paul said this, everybody who runs in a race should live disciplined. He said, why? So you could win a prize. He said, we don't try to win an earthly prize. We're looking for a heavenly prize. You know, that heavenly prize will be lost people getting saved and influence upon the world. Those who are around us. I mean, all different kinds of things. Things that we uh, can lay up and bring with us to heaven. There's nothing wrong with getting rich financially, but you don't get to take that to heaven. But there are people you can get there. There are people that you can influence here. And I don't know that it's just like, okay, I'm going to set out to influence people. But I do think we need to be purposeful to invite people, talk to people, engage people. But I do think our lifestyle is a big part too, where they just see us as different. They see heavenly influences in us that because we're influenced by heaven and we're influenced by the Lord, it just becomes more of a natural thing of your race. And so when he said here, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race. That means he ran and ran and ran this Christian race. That means a lot of people observed him over the years. And he said, I have kept the faith. Part of running our race is keeping the faith. Part of it is, you know, uh, like he said, I have fought the fight. There will be times in your Christian faith that it's going to seem like there's a fight. That's not negative. That doesn't mean you're bad. It, it it could just very well be you're good or doing something good. How many of you know just because I sail from the port out into the ocean, that doesn't mean the wind's always at my back. You know, there's a term in sailing called tracking where you go, kind of go side to side because you can't just go straight into the wind, but you're still using the wind, but it doesn't seem like, why, am, why is it not behind my back? Because it's not always behind your back. But it doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. 
or doing something wrong. I know in my Christian walk, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I knew I had it. I was like, this is what I've been looking for my whole existence. This is awesome. I mean, I wanted everybody to know. But then it would seem like there would be days at the beginning where there was just pressure. And I would think, and I would even think, what am I doing wrong? And if you looked at my life, everybody would probably say nothing. Why am I questioning? Why am I doing? What am I doing wrong? You know why I was? I didn't have an understanding that part of the Christian walk is not just what am I doing right or what am I doing wrong, but there are just going to be pressures at different times because we're making head ground and headway in this life. And that there are just going to be some times, like what was Jesus doing wrong that the devil came and tempted him? I mean, how many wrong things did he do when he was on the earth? And this is an easy one because the Bible said he never did anything wrong. Well, then why wasn't everything perfect for him? Because we live in a world where there are going to be times that pressures are just going to come to get you to go backwards. And sometimes it's just because of what's in front of you. And that's the truth. What was about to happen in Jesus' life when we hear about some of the first real big pressures were really to get him to step aside, to move back, to not keep pressing, to not keep going because of what was right in front of him. Because how many people were about to watch his race in a different way? You know, they had watched him when he was young, his mother had watched him, other people had watched him and observed him and thought, this is a peculiar young man here. He's in the temple at a 12-year-old kid and he's disputing with the religious people, but he didn't have the power of the Spirit yet. And they would look and his mom would hold these things in her heart and think, this is odd and different people were observing his race. But he was about to jump into something where a ton more people. Is that good English? A ton more? Bet you understand what I mean. Tons more. At least that's how we talked in third grade and I still like it. And, um, but tons more people were going to watch his race. Tons and tons and tons. To infinity. You know, I mean, we're going to watch his race. They were going to be observing him just as he traveled through this life in a way they had not seen. And all of a sudden there was pressure. And I remember thinking, why is there pressure in my early days or at different times? Now I don't think like that when pressure come. But back then I thought, am I doing something wrong? Because I thought if you do everything right, then there can't be any opposition. There can't be. Because I'm doing right things. And I didn't realize there is a perspective from the Bible that is not an earthly perspective. And I was trying to interpret my life from an earthly perspective. And didn't realize that the Bible said those who will live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Not everybody is going to go, it's so awesome that you're serving Jesus now. 
Woo. Oh, you're one of those Jesus people? I had people tell me that, and that called me later, that worked with me. But when they'd tell me, because I had a good relationship with them, they say, oh, you're one of those Jesus people. I said, yeah, are you one of those devil people? I would say it jokingly. I would not say it, I wouldn't suggest saying it like spitefully and be careful when you say it. But this race is an interesting thing in how it's woven through scripture. Turn with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Our race is important. Our race is important to God. Our race is important to those around us. Our race is important to his kingdom. God depends on you to run your race for him, for his kingdom, for you. How many people may not realize just how important it is to his kingdom and to his overall plan and important to our lives that we would run our race and do it right. Because how many of you know, uh, you know, sometimes people don't run races right. Now that doesn't mean, you know, if we miss it, then you better just quit the race. No, we just want to adjust. But notice this in Hebrews 12, another race, Olympic race illustration. Hebrews 12.1. He had just got done giving a whole chapter toward people who had run a race, lived their life, were impactful in the world, and, uh, and just were used. And, and I think when people think, wow, they were used by God, they think it was like God was talking to them on a walkie-talkie all the time. Hey, uh, go ahead there, Abraham, you hear me? And he's like, yeah, I got you there, God. And you're like, wow, that was Abraham. But Abraham struggled at different things, but he, he, he moved forward with God, and he, he determined what God was saying to him, and he just went. And he didn't need to hear a, some audible voice all the time, but he just walked on and served God and did different things. And, it, and you see these different people, and he talks about Samson and how God used him and how he used different people different ways and how they all, even if some of them stumbled along the way, got back up and got going. And he talks about them again and again and um, how that all these guys that he talked about were examples of faith and running a race. And he said, those ones who died are now in front of us and they're in heaven watching us. And then he said this, in verse 1, 12, 1, he said, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what he's saying, some translations say heavenly cloud. You know, the people that he just read and others in the Lord, you know, they finished their race. You know, it's kind of like a leg on a race. You know, we might be the fourth leg in a relay, the final ones running. The ones that ran each leg before us are gone. People we don't know. 
people who lived in other areas, other nations, maybe our founding fathers of our nation, people who were here 150 years ago, ran their race, and we're maybe the last leg. All those ones are watching us. They, they sat down, they've already done their thing, they're, they're observing, going, okay, you got it. And so that's what he uses this illustration of a cloud of witnesses. One translation said, the grandstands of heaven. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, or cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. He was using this Olympic illustration of discipline, of getting rid of things that would hinder us in our race. And he said, get rid of that stuff. He said, lay it aside and the sin which so easily ensnares or literally tangles us up and slows us down. How many of you know that you can still be running, but running slow? By carrying weights, they're not even called sins. They're just certain things. Or being tangled up in sin just slow you down. And so he said, get rid of that stuff. And let us run with endurance. In other words, stick with this. Notice the phrase, the race that is set before us. There is a race for the Christian. It is a course we're all on. We all need to finish our course. Not just start, but press on. It's so important. I wonder sometimes if people realize exactly what doing this right will do for us. I remember saying this years ago, and it stuck with me, that everything God tells us to do, it does something for you when you do it. If he tells you to do something, it will do something for you. If he tells you do not do something, it will do something bad for you. Right? Didn't he tell Adam and Eve, eat of this, but don't eat of this. This will do something bad to you. This will do something good to you. And so he said, don't do that. And so we have a big part in this. And so when he's talking about this Olympic race and laying certain things aside, he's telling us, do this good thing, do this thing, don't do this, get rid of this. One of the interesting things is then that would mean that doing this race thing will actually not only benefit the kingdom, benefit you, or benefit all kinds of things, it will really benefit you. Sometimes people maybe don't realize just what this will do for them. We often think salvation is what we need, and it is. But once we come to know the Lord, this is a huge part. Notice this, John uh, 4. John 4. Jesus talked and used various illustrations to get things across, whether it was planting seeds or farming and 
to get something across because people knew these things. And so here in John 4, he talks about how in the course of life, if we stay committed to the race, and the race really is just doing God's will, just serving the Lord, just sticking with it. You know, I I understand, you know, using discipline and all that. But notice what he said, that doing the will of God will do for you or for me. And in this case, Jesus, just because he did it. Like I said, everything he commands us to do is good for you. Everything he says don't do is harmful. So he's not being angry. He's just trying to go, hey, look, this is the best way. And so here in John 4, verse 32, what had happened was many people know this story. Jesus was hungry. He sent his disciples into town. He's at this well. This lady comes up. He's thirsty, waiting for food to come back, you know. This is the first mention of DoorDash. And his disciples were DoorDashers. No, they did go into town, though, to get food for him, and he hung out at this well. And sometimes he would just get away from crowds because people would flock to him. So he's kicking back, and, and this lady comes up and is drawing water, And he said, give me something to drink. And she said, why are you talking to me? I'm not one of these, the people, you know, and starts having this discussion and it becomes spiritual. And uh, her life is impacted. So she goes back to tell the people of this town, man, I met this guy who, man, he speaks things. And they do something to you. You know, this guy knows God. God's working through him. And when she leaves and goes to get the men of the town, the door dashers come back. His disciples with food. And they're like, hey, we got some food for you. And uh, we'll start right here. Verse 30, 430. Then they went out of the city and came to him. And meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of, which you do not know. Now, wait a minute. They just were in town getting food. They come back. He's been talking to this lady. She walks away to go get these men. You know, she you know, he's asked her for water and they're thinking, where'd you get food? And therefore the disciples, verse 33, uh, said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? In other words, we were on assignment to bring him something to eat. Where did he get this food to eat? What are we talking about? We're talking about doing God's will. We're talking about starting the race, running the race, finishing the race. And he said, verse 34, Jesus said to them as they're questioning, where where did you get this food? 
He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He basically said, some kind of fulfillment came into me as I've been doing God's work. I've had this happen. Even like after church or being in a service where like I was hungry before and I got done and thought, man, I'm not even hungry. It was like there was such a satisfaction. Now that doesn't mean you can do this the rest of your life. Because I'd be a couple pounds thinner. But there is a real truth to this. Moses hung out with God, spent time with God. 40 days in the glory of God, he didn't eat anything. He came down, he was glowing with the power of God. And he hadn't eaten in 40 days, and he wasn't staggering and like ready to fall dead, going, I need some food. And there is just something about walking in the will of God that, that there is a satisfaction that sometimes will seem like you've eaten food, and other times it just will do something to you that nothing else can do. And, and he wants to get this across. This is part of running our race. The world is looking for fulfillment. And they'll invite you to try to get fulfilled where they are drinking or doing what they're doing. Smoke in, drink in, do whatever they're doing. This is where it's at. I've been there. It doesn't do it. I was looking for what I have now. I don't want to be tempted to go back to that because I know it's empty. And I found this to be true. I get to eat of something, as he said, I have food to eat of that, that you do not know of. We have something to partake of that the world does not know of. They'll tempt you, but we have something to eat called just running your race. It will do things for your life that other things cannot. Sure, we can enjoy different things in the world, but never think that those are the things that ultimately do it. God, the Bible said, gives us richly all things to enjoy. So he made trees like they are and oceans like they are with all the floating cans and garbage just so we can enjoy them. Okay, we threw the cans in there and the garbage. But you know what I mean. He gave us all these things to enjoy. And he said to richly enjoy them. But never should we realize or think that they will do something that this will do. This will reach where those things can't reach. This will do beyond what those things can do. This will make those things better. I remember when I got saved, I remember the first time I went back into the canyon that was right above where I lived, and I had often frequented it when I lived in the world because people would go up there to party. And I was right at the front of the line. And I remember going up there the very first time because there's like a little river, creek thing. It's bigger than a creek for what I value or evaluate as a creek and not this big, huge river, but it's, you know, 15 feet, 20 feet across, depending on how it's flowing and rocks so you can kind of jump across it. 
And I remember going there the first time after I got saved and looking at the trees going, whoa. These leaves look different. There's like, I'm seeing life I never saw. The water looks different. Everything just seemed to be so vibrant. I thought, life is different. This is wild. And then I remember being on an airplane one time and flying to the Midwest and leaving Southern California, and I sat next to this girl who's really put together, you know, looked dressed a certain way. And we started talking, you know, she had this look. And she, I said, well, you know, what do you, what do, you do? She said, well, I'm a, a news anchor for this big Spanish station. And I said, oh, cool. And so she said, what do you do? So I told her, and she kind of laughed and said, that's not what I thought you did. And um, I won't tell you what she thought I did. Because we need to finish the sermon and we don't want everybody to laugh at once. And so, so I told her how I ended up becoming a youth pastor. And um, she, uh, you know, and talked about how I got saved. And I got to talk to her. And then we prayed that, that she would, you know, and she committed her life to the Lord. I remember she started tearing up and her eyes got watery. And then she just turned her head to the window and wouldn't even look at me the rest of the flight. And it was kind of a weird leg because we left Ontario, if you know this, in Southern California and did a quick stop in Palm Springs. So we kind of talked just for a short time on the plane. Then we took off. We prayed. Ten minutes staring out the window, we landed. We didn't change flights. We didn't do anything. We sat there on the, you know, sat there for probably 40 minutes, and then we continued on. But while we were sitting there, after she had stared out the window, she just turned and looked at me and said, this is real. I said, I know. And she said to me, she said, do you know everything looks different? She said, the colors are different. There's just something different in me. Like, you know, I'm satisfied and everything is different. And I told her, you know, that happened to me when I gave my life to the Lord. And I've told the story after, once we took off again, she said, I want you to meet my boyfriend. And I thought, okay. He was the exiled president of Peru. And I thought, cool, I'll get to witness to him. And he comes walking in the airport in Texas with bodyguards around him. She introduces him to me, thinking, man, this is going to be awesome to get to witness to him. And he just went, okay, thanks, and then took her and walked away, and I went, oh, okay. <laughs> that was the glory of it right there. And I uh, probably couldn't pick him out of a crowd of three right now if you put him in front of me and put a gun to my head and said, who was he? But it was awesome because I thought, man, God reached her what an opportunity. But the opportunity for her to hear, wow, this did something to me. I thought, she's going to partake. She walk with God. She's going to be able to eat of something that the world doesn't know. And we all get that opportunity. Notice this, and we're going to get ready to close here. Turn to Hebrews, the third chapter. 
There is just something to eat of when we walk with God. That doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect all the time, but we can be advancing, walking in His goodness, walking with Him is worth it all. And then being able to share with others, wow. I mean, with Him, it's good. Philippians, the third chapter. What did I tell you? Hebrews, Hebrews. good. How many got to Hebrews? You guys are awesome. Not everybody got there. How many turned to Philippians? Philippians. This verse is going to be so good right now. Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter. This goes back to that running of the race where there are things that are kind of hidden. Scripture that are talking about these kind of Olympic games or kind of showing what we do on our course. Notice this, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching or pressing forward or using effort to go forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal or toward the finish line for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting? He said, in this race, one thing I do. He said, one thing I do when I run this race. And then he told us more than one thing. He said, I forget what was behind. You can't let the behind stuff hinder you from the future stuff. So he said, forget the stuff that's behind and press forward. You know, in our Christian walk, there are going to be times you're going to need to press forward. And there's a reward to doing it. So he said, forget what's behind. Press toward the goal. Don't quit. Keep going. Somebody said, ah, sometimes it's real hard. Well, remember this. In this context, he told us to press, but right before he said this, in the chapter before, he said, God will work in you to compel you, to energize you, to give you strength. He'll work in you both to will, to want to, and to do this course, his good pleasure. So remember this, you can rely not on your own strength all the time. Remember at first I said, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I remember there were times of pressure and I thought, what am I doing wrong? I could remember going to church thinking, how did I get here this morning? There was so much pressure to, to just lay down and go back to sleep. But I got up and went and thought, wow, God helped me. If you would have told me that was God, I maybe wouldn't have recognized it, but looking back now, I realized, man, he was helping me. And I remember I would go, something would happen, and I'd keep marching. And there were days, it seemed like the wind was at my back week after week. Then other times it seemed like it was at my face. But one way or the other, I was on course. And we are too. And we're just going to stick with it. And he's going to help us. And we're going to influence people. Do you believe that? 
I do too.